Thanks for joining us today at City Life. We believe today's message will empower you and point you towards Jesus. But remember that church is so much more than a message you listen to. It's a living, breathing community that we invite you to be a part of. We hope to see you on a Sunday morning at City Life, in person or online. We are on this, the, the series Disruptive Disciples, and that's, that's just a charged title right there, isn't it? You just don't know, what, are, what, the, what is he going to talk about? Disruptive Disciples? Are we going to, like, launch a revolution? Are we going to, like, protest in the streets? Is he going to go all crazy on us? And uh, it's, easy, it's easy to start thinking of, of uh, you know, disruption as a negative thing, isn't it? It starts, like, we think... Of, people being disruptive, but Jesus was one of the most disruptive people ever. And he wasn't disruptive in an arrogant or a rude or a belligerent way, but he was disruptive in the way that he, he interrupted the patterns of people's lives because he wanted to bring something better to their lives. He interrupted the mindsets that people had because he wanted to bring a mindset that brought life and healing and wholeness. And so when we, when we talk about disruptive disciples, it's not, it's not that we're going to go get protest signs and march down the street and, and you know, get a soapbox and stand on the corner and, and yell, you're all going to hell. That would be disruptive, but it would also be a bit brain dead. But what, what we want to do is we want to be a good disruption in people's lives. We want to be a good disruption in the routines of, of, of when we, you know, we have these patterns and these routines that we go through in life that oftentimes don't bear fruit. You know, we have, we've all heard the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Well, we do that continually. Like, even when we think we don't do that, we still do that. And this, that, the, the disruption that we're called to as disciples is the disruption of helping to bring life to those around us, helping to bring life in the situations that we encounter. And to do that, what I've discovered in my life is oftentimes I don't have those answers for everybody. I don't, oftentimes I find I don't have the answers for myself. Am I the only person who feels like this from time to time? And so the first thing for, to be effective as a disruptive disciple is we have to allow God to disrupt us first. Dis, disruptive disciples have first been disrupted. And the first place for me to really be able to bring change to the world around me is to allow God to bring change to me, to allow God to bring transformation uh, to my life. And, you know, I've always believed the greatest thing we can do as the church is live a life that's so different and so attractive that people can't help but notice and think, I want that life. When they, when they see your peace, they, they say, you know what, I don't have that peace. I would like to have that peace. When they see uh, you know, when in a world that's like consumed with personal gain and consumption, that they see something different in the church that says we're generous and we're sacrificial, that we that we help. 
In a world where families are fractured, we show relationships, families and friendships that are fractured, we show relationships that are, that are committed and healthy and whole, and they, that they, they overcome hardship. See, the, so often in the world around us, we see when a relationship becomes inconvenient, we abandon it. Just move on. And I believe that it's so important, you know, that in the church, we've been called to love differently. It's challenging at times. It's impossible to become a disciple without allowing God to disrupt our lives. And it's not a disruption for the sake of inconvenience. It's a disruption for the sake of interrupting routines that aren't working to replace them with what Jesus, what he called the, the kingdom of heaven or the way the ways things are done in heaven. You know, like a few years ago, Monica and I, we, we did an adventure trip. We had been very predictable in our holidays for a long time. We just... We just went to, we went to Palm Springs. That's what we did. We went to Palm Springs, and then we went to Palm Springs, and then we went to Palm Springs. And I would golf every day, because in the summer, golfing is like $20, all you can golf. So if you like to golf, go to Palm Springs. And there's malls and shopping everywhere. So, you know, she would go shopping at the mall, because <laughs> you can't do that here. And then one year we just said, let's just do something completely different. And we booked a holiday. We booked a holiday into Costa Rica. And I don't know, like, how we managed to get so adventurous. Because we really, it was probably you. You got that, let's do something different. And so we booked this. And when we got, got to Costa Rica, we actually had to take, like, a private, like, puddle jumper plane down to the very southern tip of Costa Rica called the Osa Peninsula. And you can't drive there. You have to take a plane to get there. And, and we land on an airstrip. I mean, you're just, I hope that cow gets off the airstrip before we, like you're, you're just, you're coming into a place like where have we landed? And, and we rented a car and you go, it's like, well, the, it says the car rental agency is just down the street from the airport. So we, we walk down the street from the airport down to, and like the car rental agency, and literally it's like a little shack and they, there's no cars. And, <laughs> and we get there and they're like, we're sorry, the cars aren't back yet. So, well, okay then. Now what do we do? And we had great hosts. We, we did an Airbnb in a place that we had never, we had never been before. And, we, and we, we got down there. And then we find out when we get, we, we finally arrived there. I got to shorten the story because I could tell this all day. But we get there and we arrive and, and we're put in a place and there's literally no walls in the house. It's a roof. And 50 yards away is the ocean. And it is, I should have got pictures of this and put it up for you guys, but it was a roof. There's no power. There's no, there's no internet. Your phone doesn't work. Like, it doesn't get reception. You can drive a ways. There was a place you could go and get reception if you, if you absolutely had to. Um, and as we're, the second day that we're there, my phone, it starts getting hotter and hotter and hotter and eventually shuts off and never comes back on again. 
and that phone never came back on again. It just shut off. That was the end of it. Now, for some of you, I just put you into a panic attack <laughs> thinking no phone. And, and at home, I have a construction company running that I have no way to contact at all to like do anything. Um, that was a bit of a disruption. But you know what happened is because we had these routines that we used to do on holidays where you just, you know, sit, lazy, you know, watch a lot of shows on, on your iPad or watch a lot of shows on, your, you know, on the internet or, or, or watch whatever, these routines. Well, it all got completely disrupted. So what did we do? Well, there's no cell phone service. So you're not doing it. And I had no phone literally. So you're not doing any of these things. So what do we do? We start going for long walks down the beach. And we did an, uh, a, a walk up a creek, climbing little waterfalls in the middle of the, of the jungle. We saw, she, she spotted an armadillo. <clears throat> a little cute little armadillo. Which I guess is really rare to see. But this ended up becoming the best holiday we had ever taken in our lives in a place where there's no power, there's no phone, and, what, and, and, I, and looking at why, did, why was this so enjoyable? Well, it was so enjoyable because all of the routines that had blinded us to other areas of life got interrupted. And now you have to actually embrace a different routine. And this is, this is what a disciple's disruptions are. It's, it's, allowing, it's allowing God to interrupt the things we do every day without thinking about so that he can bring something better to our lives. It's a, Ephesians, Paul, Paul talks about it. He's a little more blunt. I'm being really diplomatic in the way I'm phrasing this. Paul, he said, take off your former way of life, your crumpled old self, that dark blot of a soul corrupted by deceitful desire and lust, <laughs> to take a fresh breath and let God renew your attitude and spirit. And it's, he's so intentional in this wording, you know, this take off this old crumpled self, this old, this is the, the way we go through life without thinking about it. He says, take this off, abandon it, toss it, toss this blotted old dark soul into the garbage and take a fresh breath and let God renew your attitude and your spirit. And then you are ready to put on your new self. Everyone say, my new self. God always has a new self ready for us, but we have to take off the old self. And that new self, it says it's modeled after the very likeness of God, truthful, righteous, and holy. And this is, if I were to call this, this would be the disruption of being before doing. Being before doing. God wants us to be something before he wants us to just get obsessed with doing something. And so often, you know, many of us, if we were to tell our stories, we didn't come into church, we didn't become a part of the church world because, oh, hey, I can be part of a worship team, or hey, I can be a greeter at the door. Or I can, hey, look, there's an awesome coffee bar, I can be a part of this. We came to church because something transformed in our hearts and our lives, and there was something that real that changed us. But then we get here. 
And it's so easy to just kind of go back into unthinking patterns, isn't it? It's so easy to just get back into routines and, and get back. And, you know, the, when we, the, the focus of being before doing means that we re- recognize God always wants to change what's inside us so that it changes what we do, so that it changes the way we are, the way we conduct ourselves. See, when being before, we're, when doing before being is, is what marks our walk with Jesus, then what happens is when what we're doing, when we end up losing what we're doing, we end up losing our identity. What happens when we, when we focus on being before doing is we end up be, making sure that we're healthy on the inside. And this last, this last 18 months, my gosh, you guys. Like, it's been quite ruthless in showing us areas in our hearts and lives that we maybe struggle with little attitudes. <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed little attitudes in people, yourself. I don't have any, but... <laughs> and the pressure reveals what's weak in us, doesn't it? It reveals, and it reveals areas that sometimes that we've built on in our lives that actually aren't, they're actually not good things to, to remain built on. And we can look at disruption as an inconvenience, or we can look at disruption as uh, something very negative, but, but it can actually be something very positive, that it can draw our attention to areas of our life that really in the long term are going to sabotage our lives anyways. They're going to end up hurting us down the road. And so we have to ask the question, what is the value that, that this disruption can bring to my life? And, and now we're, you know, kind of 19 months in this, like disruption has become a way of life. But it has also been a gift to us to show us parts of our life that, that God wanted to build us, build something stronger into our lives. And, uh, you know, we, in our modern world, we tend to reduce spirituality down to a personal journey. And it's, uh, it is a personal journey because it is a, a, your, your walk with God, but it's much more than just a personal journey. It's a journey that we take together. And it's a, it's, it's a journey that God wants us to be something together first before we get be, be before do. And, uh, you know, we've, in our Western world, we tend to look at everything very much from an individualistic point of view. That's just kind of, if, you know, when you, when you, one of the hallmarks of Western thinking, of, of, of the way we think, is we tend to think us first. We don't t- th- tend to think like community first or group first. That's very different in most of the world. In fact, we're kind of the anomaly in the way that we, we kind of think of ourselves first. We kind of treat faith like a buffet dinner. You know what a buffet dinner is? It's like if, you, you know, meatballs, yes, please. Broccoli, got no time for that. And, you know, and that's, that tends to be how we treat faith. It tends to be how we treat our, our walk with Jesus, you know? It's, it's like, yeah, loud, loud music and a celebration. Okay, I'm all over that. Give me that with a side of gravy. But it's like, prayer? I don't got no time for that. 
Silence and solitude? Who even does that? And a lot, of the, a lot of the Western church world is starting to actually just look like, it's starting to look like, a, we're starting to look like Christianized Buddhists is what we're starting to look like. We're starting to, you know, we just kind of take the spiritual truth that fits our needs and then we just kind of set that which doesn't fit off to the side. But, it, you know, the early church didn't, they didn't re- refer to themselves as Christians. They actually referred to themselves as followers of the way. It was a way of living. It was a way of going through life. It was a way of, of thinking and acting. A way of being. And they, the early Christians realized right away it wasn't just a belief they were called to. It was a way of life that they were called to. That, that to follow Jesus meant I have to allow God to disrupt my life. Allowing that old way of thinking and interacting to be disrupted by new ways of going through life. And Monica read this last week in her message, but it, the Acts chapter 2 actually lists the disruptions that the, the, early, church, that the early church experienced right away. And it, and it says this, Acts 2.42, Every believer was faithfully devoted to, the fo- to following the teaching of the apostles, Their hearts were mutually linked to one another, sharing communion and coming together regularly for prayer. A deep sense of holy awe swept over everyone, and the apostles performed many miracles, signs, and wonders. All of the believers were in fellowship as one body. They shared with one another whatever they had. Out of generosity, they even sold their assets to distribute the proceeds to those who were in need among them. Daily they met together in the temple courts and in one another's homes to celebrate communion. They shared meals together with joyful hearts and tender humility. These are disruptive rhythms. These are the disruptions that mark the early church. And, you know, a lot of times, and even something Monica talked about, uh, Monica talked about the common table last week and, and how I love that, that point that it's actually I'm not inviting you to my table and you're not inviting me to your table. It's like we're actually invited together to the Lord's table. And, and it's, uh, this is a disruption. You know, we talk about having meals together or we know the value of having meals together, but it's actually a bit disruptive to plan meals together, isn't it? You got to go compare schedules and you got to you got to get food and prepare. And, and you know, some of you think, i got to clean my house. And... But these disruptive rhythms create something better. Disruptive rhythms. And we see the, the, the rhythms of, of the teaching, of, the, of learning, of following the teachings of the apostles, of prayer, of coming together, of eating together. I find it funny that they mention eating together twice. It's just how important it is. Yes. Eating together is important. And that's why, that's why we're eating together tonight, is because we realize, you know, it's important that we eat together. It's important we come together. It's important we are together. And it's important we eat together. And so I want to ask the question, what, or ask ourselves the question, what is forming me right now? What, what are the routines? What are the habits that I'm going through in my life right now that, that are forming my life? What forms me 
And am I, allowing those, am I allowing those habits to be interrupted? Am I allowing God to disrupt that which I'm doing? I think sometimes we have to actually create disruptions in our own life in order to, for certain things in our life to change. And, uh, you know, earlier this year, uh, earlier this year we talked about uh, uh, the rule of life. And the rule of life is it's this cultivating intentional habits that will lead us to a place of relational, emotional, and spiritual health. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a book, it's called The Common Rule. We, we talked a lot from that book. If you have not read that book, by the way, I would really encourage you to, to get a hold of that. And, uh, you know, we might even have some for sale at some point here. But uh, it talked about this, it talks about these habits. And um, habits are not complicated, but habits carry deep power to disrupt our experience or to enhance our experience in life. Habits shape our hearts so that the, ch- the challenge for us is actually to form habits that shape our heart in a good way. And I, you know, if you... It, Bad habits are so much easier than good ones. You know, it's easy to just unplug and watch a few shows at night, isn't it? It's easy. But the, the habit of, okay, instead of watching that show, you just say, I'm, I'm just going to read a book instead. Instead of just watching TV, I'm going to read a book. And you, to say it, it's like, well, that's not hard. But then nighttime rolls around and what? Well, the TV's easier. Habits shape our heart. So the challenge for us is to form habits that, that shape the right heart in us. And, uh, you know, the, the traditional church world has a term for uh, words or actions that are repeated continually. It's called a liturgy. And a liturgy is uh, it's a habit or a pattern that, that is carried out in, in church with, with the goal of forming something spiritual in our life. And if we, if we look at, you know, this is what the goal of habits are. The goal of habits is to form a certain thing in our life. And when you, when you look at the word liturgy, it, it's, it's basically, it's a habit that we recognize is also an act of worship. It's a habit that's an act of worship. And now, what's interesting is what happens if we start recognizing that all of our habits are actually an act of worship? All of our habits are an act of worship. Then it's like, well, the habit of watching Netflix, well, Netflix is like, well, that's my evening devotions. And you realize that every, every, every habit is an it's an act of worship. It's, it's allowing something to shape us. I was reading this week in the book of Psalms. And if you're, it's funny because if you're actually, uh, if you follow me, because see, you see each other's highlights on, on the version devotional. And if you would have seen my highlight this week, you would have go like, what is wrong with Mike? <clears throat> Because it was from Psalms 106, and it said this, they, they didn't wipe out those godless cultures as ordered by God. Instead, they intermarried with the heathen, and in time, they became just like them. 
And this is, that's a really interesting verse to have highlighted in your... <laughs> so Mike's talking about disruption. He highlighted wiping out godless cultures. What is he going to talk about today? But this is, you have to understand, everything that's in here is to teach us something. And it just stood out to me. There's, a, there's also another verse in Psalms that says they built idols of wood and stone and, that were deaf and mute, and they worshipped them, and then they became like them. You know, they became deaf and mute. It's the, the principles, we become like that which we worship. We become like the things that we are continually uh, giving our service to or giving our time and attention to. And this isn't, Psalms 106, this isn't about starting a new culture war. This is, this is really about what areas. They didn't wipe out those godless cultures as ordered by God, and instead they intermarried with the heathen, which just means they intermarried with godlessness. And in time, they became like them. And I just, when I read that, I just asked myself, what areas of our culture that are godless have I allowed myself to remain married to? What areas of my life have I not allowed, have, what areas of my life that if I remain married to these areas, I'll end up becoming just like those areas? All right. You know, we've, in the last, um, last few months, we talked about the common rule, and which, or the, the rule of life, which is create, cultivating intentional habits that lead us to a place of relational, emotional, and spiritual health. And, you know, if our current experience in one of those areas is not what we want it to be, then chances are there is a habit we must cultivate in order to get it to be what we want it to be. And the, the rule of life is basically, it's, it's curating a set of habits to bring health to our life, to bring health to our families, health to our relationships, health to, even health to our finances, health to our church. It's rhythms that replenish us and practices that, that are life-giving. And the goal isn't to get us all doing exactly the same thing, but it's all getting us to do things that are moving us all towards health, freedom, and healing. And uh, realize they're not, they're, not just, they're not just disciplines, but they're actually an act of worship. When we, when, we for, when we allow our routines to get disrupted and we allow, allow new routines to be, to, to be in their place, it allows, us, it allows us to grow. That is the greatest sound in the world. And there is nothing like, it's just like they're little ticking time bombs. It's like, wah, wah, ah! <laughs> it's like, you think, oh, I still got 10 seconds. I got, you know, they'll, they'll make it. They're just quiet. And no, boom, they're, they're gone. Ah, oh, forgotten the joy of babies. Okay, no, I've been disrupted. Uh, let me finish off with this. 
I find it interesting in that Acts chapter 2, the first disruption they talked about was that they, is that they came under the teaching of the apostles. That was the first disruption. And you think, well, what in the world is Mike setting up to say now? It's like, well, you all need to do what I say all the time. No, you have to understand this culture, this world. Nobody could read. Nobody could write. You couldn't pass your cassette tape of your favorite sermon around to all your friends or email them a link to watch the YouTube video. This was school for them. This is how you learned. You went and sat under teaching. This, this, this is it. No books. No videos. And so they're saying the first disruption that they recognize that they had to allow is we have to get, we have to disrupt our routines to learn. We have to learn. We don't change until we learn. We can't, we can't fix things. You know, if, if something is a mess in your finances, you have to learn how to budget. And it's, I'll pray for your finances, but then I'll hand you a book on budgeting and say, you need to learn. This was the, the modern day equivalent of this is, is literally setting aside time in your schedule to learn. Setting aside time in your schedule to grow. And this is, this is also helping to control the influence of the modern world around us. Because we are daily being assaulted in our, in our daily interactions through media, especially media right now that it's seeking to influence how we think. It's seeking to influence the way we think and how we think, and, and we're now way past, it's like maybe it's not biased. Like it, there's completely an agenda behind, behind social media right now. Behind the news, behind social media, it's very hard to get unbiased truth. We need, the great thing is we have a place where there is actually unbiased truth. It's called the Word of God. And it has stood for thousands of years and it will stand for thousands more. A.W. Tozer, he said this, somebody is going to control your mind. Who's it going to be? Is it going to be the advertiser? Is it going to be the public school? Is it going to be the media? Or is it going to be God? You have to make up your mind on that, my friend. Whether you want to or not, somebody is going to control your mind. Who is it going to be? And you know, we have available to us the greatest minds of history are available to us. Most of us, we have, we, they're available right here. We can get any book and read it. And I think that Maybe the greatest tragedy of our age is we literally have eliminated illiteracy in, in a generation, in our nation, in, in Western culture. We've virtually eliminated literacy, literacy. Yet the stats are that 65% of people after school never read another, another nonfiction book. That, I mean, that's, that's almost tragic. Because we, 
been given all the tools that we can we can actually learn and then and then we just choose to watch Netflix instead be entertained the first disruption is the disruption of learning the disruption of the apostles teaching we don't grow if we're not taught and maybe it's more accurate to say we grow in the direction we're taught we grow in the way that we're taught all right let's stand up i'm done You know, the, like I said earlier, the last 19 months, a lot of us found out areas of our lives, areas of our hearts, some of us areas of relationships and family and friendships, and that there's stuff in there that wasn't what we want in there. Or it exposed things in us that, like, some of us just discovered, I, I kind of don't like what's coming out of me. And you know, a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, well, stress and anxiety, it's, a, it's, it's because we're responding a certain way to events that isn't, isn't filled with peace. And, and uh, you know, to change, I believe, I believe God gave us a, and actually gave us a gift in seeing that in us because he wants to bring peace and life wholeness and healing to those areas of our life and that starts with us I think it really starts with us saying God I'm willing to let you disrupt me I'm willing to let you the disruption of the last season isn't I don't want that to be for nothing I want you to be able to disrupt me and put me in a place where you want me to be in this time a place in your kingdom so I want to just pray for us and we close our eyes and online if you want to just take a moment and pray right now with me father i pray for i pray for our hearts it's like melissa prayed i pray for our hearts in that we would see that you're wanting you're wanting us to be something before we're just doing something you don't want us to just be busy or staying occupied but you want to transform our lives and transform our hearts and to do that many of us had to be disrupted Many of us had to have our phones blow up and go to a place with no power. Figuratively speaking, you had to unplug what we were used to so that you could do something better in our lives and better in our hearts. For some of us, just so we could recognize what was already there that just in the long run isn't going to serve us or serve you or your purpose. So Father, we we give you permission to disrupt us. You can just pray with me, Jesus. I give you permission to disrupt my life so that something better can be built in my life. Would you help me to build your life into my heart? In Jesus' name, amen. We hope today's message encouraged you. If you want to take your next step in saying yes to Jesus, you can always contact us at cty.lc slash next step or fill out the next step section on the City Life app. It's an honor to play a small part in what God is doing in your life. We look forward to connecting with you soon.